Welcome to Left on Red, the Daily Mountain Eagles political history podcast. I'm Jennifer Coron. And I'm Drew Gilbert. And in spite of what we told you at the end of last week, we're not going to be talking to Corey Franks today. That will be coming next week. Because we're liars. Because occasionally we lie. And occasionally we get great opportunities and we take them. And so... Our guest today, you want to introduce yourself to the folks, sir? Uh, sure. My name is James Tingle. And you are from? Uh, from Originally from Carbon Hill. I saw. Uh, went to Oakman High School. And why are we talking to you today, Mr. Tingle? you got an interesting job. What do you do? Um, I do. I'm actually working for the vetting team on the Joe Biden campaign. Oh, okay. So is Joe looking for any young Walker County <laughs> mayors for his <laughs> Who are about to be unemployed? I'd be very interested in certain positions nothing real important you know we are actually expanding oh crap so, i was just joking yeah. i'm uh no no i don't <laughs> want to go to dc thank you though <laughs> well, we're, we're in philly if that helps Ooh, i don't yeah. like the eagles they beat the patriots in the yeah. super bowl yeah yeah I think about it. We'll, yeah, we'll let Joe him, do, we'll let him do his soul searching yeah. over there. So let's start with a little background on you, and then okay. we'll get into the political origin story. Okay. So graduated from Oakman. Graduated yes. from Oakman, yes. And then went to UAB, I saw. Yes, I did. Okay. What and year then, was that Oakman graduation? Uh, 2011. we got to age you around here. Yeah. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Um, and then what did you do after that? You had a very interesting post-graduate uh, career. I did, actually, before I graduated got the, my diploma, uh, moved to Morocco for a year, Ooh. um, worked on a graduate certificate, um, in counterterrorism, uh, ah. international security. Um, very interesting. Yeah. Um, and then came back, uh, to the U S and joined the army. So you did the counterterrorism certificate first before joining the military, yes, right? I did. Okay. Mm-hmm. So civilian training that benefited you in the military, right, exactly. which usually happens the other way around. We usually get trained in the military that benefits us mm-hmm. in the civilian life. Exactly, so. yeah. Well, had there been an interest in military before that? Did you yeah. think you were going to go to the military one day? Um, I, I was always very interested in, in the military. My grandfather served in World War II, um, but also I was the first male um, on my mom's side of the family in almost oh, a generation. So okay. that, that history of uh, military service sort of ended with my grandfather. Okay. Skipped, skipped a beat and, yeah. and came back. Mm-hmm. So oh. did you enter You entered the Army as an officer, I guess, then? Since no, you I actually already, I enlisted. You just enlisted? I enlisted. Okay. Um, I knew pretty much exactly the job that I wanted, and uh-huh. um, the Army doesn't allow officers to necessarily got it okay um their job you're slotted based on your class rank and everything and i you know the military really just don't want to play with that oh no yeah you just go by their rules exactly and so um yeah i went in um doing military intelligence and tell us a little bit about what you did because you deployed to afghanistan yes Yes, is where you were Mm -hmm. so tell us a little bit what you did over there um so went to afghanistan i originally uh trained to do uh targeting and more of the counterterrorism mission um, and ended up serving in more of a counterintelligence role, uh, getting to know our Afghan partners. Um, and it was more of a hands-on job than I had originally trained for. And um, I interacted with Afghans on a daily basis, pretty much. Okay. Um, How long were you there? Um, so I was there for six months in the beginning. I took about two to three weeks off mm-hmm. and then volunteered to go back. Okay. So about a year total. About a year total. Mm-hmm. And you were pretty much working directly with like Afghan forces throughout the, the entire time? Right. Okay. So, um, of course, I mean, I worked with my office. There were about six of us. Um, we were at a small outpost uh, just outside of uh, Kabul. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, we worked 
um, hand in hand with our Afghan partners. And that was kind of the mission at the point you were there was right. training them to take over for us. I mean, that, exactly. we, we all hear yeah. that narrative here. Right. And I've talked to some guys that were over there that, yeah. that felt like at times that's what they were doing. And at times we, they didn't know what the heck we were doing there. Right. At all. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty, uh, uh, I, I think that we, we kind of, uh, moved back and forth mm-hmm. even within the year that I was there. We, we were like, okay, we're, so we're going to be training Afghans. And then we were like, well, let's take more of a hands-on role. And then yeah. we, we sort of kept switching back and, you know, tiptoeing that line. And then the st- some of the stories I've been given as well, um, the Afghans didn't necessarily have to play by the rules that you guys played by. I felt like at times they could kind of rogue agent some stuff that yes. Uh, yes. You, you would have been um, – uh, kicked out of the military. Oh, for, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. <laughs> they were kind of dirty work soldiers at times. Uh, they, from what they I were gathered. definitely yeah. um, human rights were not up on their yeah. list of priorities. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a strange time. And, and I've always talked about, which even at your age, you're enough younger than me. Uh, Jennifer and I remember not being at war. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there's this a generation a of Americans yeah. that there's two things that I always hit the bullet points. Um, you know, kids that were born in the, in 2000 or, mm-hmm. you know, they don't know two things that one, we don't have to be at right. war. And two, we can actually balance a budget because we did it in my lifetime. I remember, yeah. I remember when the amount of money that came into the federal government uh, matched the amount of money that went out and it wasn't higher. And uh, right. th- th- those are two things that are real. So yeah. <laughs> I, I remember being in third grade on 9-11. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the, the year that I, well, actually I got out of the army last May mm-hmm. and the new group of basic training, um, they weren't uh, even alive. They weren't even alive on 9-11. Mm-hmm. Is that not and bizarre? That is bizarre. Oh, and, that, and that hurts. I, I think this year's high school seniors, I didn't do the math myself, but but you've seen the thing going around because yeah. of the virus. This year's high school seniors yeah, were born the year, yeah. roughly the year of 9-11. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you, that hurts because we talk about, like, if you don't know what the mission is or why you're there, you know, anybody that went, that deployed directly after 9-11, you knew why we were going exactly. to the Middle East. Mm-hmm. It, <laughs> you, were, you were bulletproof and nine foot tall. Like, we knew why we were there. And now you've got a generation that's like, why are, why are we here mm-hmm. exactly? And that's tough. That's got to be tough for the guys well, that are over there. I mean, even, even with my generation that went to Afghanistan, um, I went, or, you know, we, our enemy was always Al Qaeda. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to Afghanistan, our enemy was ISIS. Yeah. And so it yeah. was just a completely different, you know, like Al Qaeda was still there, but yeah. we were dealing with ISIS Khorasan. Well, we just, we just had actually diplomatic talks with Al Qaeda mm-hmm. from what I, or, yeah. And, yeah. and the Taliban too, you know, right. two things that we've, yeah. we've seen as our enemy. We just had diplomatic conversations with. Exactly. So. And one of the guys that we had been tracking the entire time, and I'm, I'm sure since, 2001, mm-hmm. um, he wrote an op-ed for the New York Times. So uh, <laughs> that, that, that was bizarre to see, you know, this guy that, that you were trying to, you were trying to target for, you know, almost 20 years yeah. writing for the New York Times. Yeah. So let's roll to that political origin story. You, okay. you majored in political history at UAB, right? So this, yes, or, so this is not yeah. something that started post-military. You right. were interested in politics already. I, I was. Um, so I, I, actually, I dual majored in history and uh, political science. Um, and so I was always interested in politics. I, I studied more uh, the politics of the Middle East and uh, North Africa. Um, and that was that was more of my focus, looking at how autocratic governments mm-hmm. uh, behave differently to the counterterrorism mission than democracies. Okay. 
So what leads you into taking part in a presidential campaign then? What does that path look like? Uh, so that, that path was very interesting. Um, I had the, the unique, uh, I was in the unique position to be in Afghanistan uh, during both the Obama administration mm-hmm. and the beginning of the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. I saw that difference. And there was a huge difference. There's a difference between what is actually happening on the ground and, and the rhetoric that goes out. And um, so, you know, Joe Biden was always someone that I respected. Um, And I didn't, I initially did not um, have aspirations to necessarily work on a campaign. Um, And then when the opportunity presented itself to work on the Biden campaign, I took it. So what, tell me more about your role within the Biden campaign. Um, So basically I work with vetting and compliance. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's more of a risk management position. Um, and anyone who touches the campaign, they have to go through a vetting process, mm-hmm. everyone from an intern to a national surrogate. Um, and we, we look at their backgrounds and, um, you know, look at press statements that they've made, um, public records, mm-hmm. uh, criminal filings, all mm-hmm. of that stuff. Um, but then also on the finance side, um, I don't know if you know, we, we signed the fossil fuels pledge mm-hmm. uh, to not take money from energy uh, companies and anyone who's involved in day-to-day um, operations of a fossil fuels or energy company. Um, and so we have to go through thousands of people who donate to make sure that we're in compliance with that pledge. Yeah, it's super complex because, I mean, on the front end, you want to make sure you're getting a good human being, someone right. that aligns with your ideals. But on mm-hmm. the other side, you can alienate yourself from your voting base right. by getting an otherwise good human being that just somehow doesn't align with you publicly. Right. And then a reporter like Jennifer can go find that. <laughs> that's and me. Just kill you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a real thing that yeah. every campaign has to do. Well, that's a pretty cool gig. So you get to yeah. do that remote uh, always, or is no, that remote right now that during is, the that pandemic? Is, that is remote right now. And so, what is campaign headquarters in Philly? Is it that, is. It's, it's in, in Philly. Philly. Yeah. What made him choose Philly? He's a Delaware boy, right? He is. But uh, he's from. It, he's born in Pennsylvania. He was born in Pennsylvania. But he served Delaware. Right. So okay. I think it was. It was sort of that good middle middle ground. Okay. Um, and they always call um, Joe Biden the third senator from Pennsylvania. <laughs> so <laughs> whether that be a compliment or yeah, an insult, exactly. yeah. What yeah. was the title of the Biden campaign? How's that opportunity present itself to get into the Biden campaign? How? Um, was it related to your work? I know when you came back, you had a consulting. Right. A right. consulting. I, I, I did that for a little while. Um, it wasn't related to the consulting okay. or anything. Um, no, it was it was really just that I um, I actually finished reading uh, Joe Biden's book, mm-hmm. uh, Promise Me Dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that really resonated with me, be, coming from the Army and then seeing Bo's um, journey in the Army and then yeah. his relationship with, um, with the vice president. Um, and uh, so I applied to two campaigns, um, one being the Biden campaign and the other one was Seth Moulton, mm-hmm. um, you know, military guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got the, I got, actually got an offer from Seth Moulton's um, campaign. And then the, a day later he dropped out. <laughs> so, um, so that was, that was kind of funny. Um, and then it was like maybe a week later, uh, that I got the offer to work on the And Biden you've been campaign. with the Biden campaign since when? Since September. Okay. Uh, cause yeah. you came here for a Rotary Club meeting, I, I think did. in the summer. Yes, I did. And, uh, the person who put us in touch with you, Mr. Paul Kennedy yes. said that, uh, you basically left that Rotary Club meeting and went off to Pennsylvania. It was very, it was, it was very short order. It was very short. I, um, so I, I did my first interview with the campaign on like a, a Wednesday, and by Friday I had the job offer. Oh wow! Was that an in-person interview, or, or were you able no, to do it, that on the phone? Okay. Yeah. 
So what were your first impressions of being involved in a, in a political campaign and how crazy that is? Because at the yeah. time, the race was, big, you know, big field, oh. all sorts of things. Right. So what was that experience like um, being on in, in so early? Um, it's been a roller coaster, to say the least. <laughs> um, it, it, Biden it, should put that on a T-shirt. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, so from the very beginning, I mean, like you said, we, we actually had a very small campaign mm-hmm. um, and very small for a former vice president. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, our campaign manager at the time, uh, Greg Schultz, would always say, you know, we're a small, scrappy campaign. Right. So we were we were working with minimal resources and doing the job of some of these campaigns that are, you know, candidates who are no longer in the race that had mm-hmm. double or triple our staff. Mm-hmm. Um, they were raising more money than us and we still just got the job done. It meant long hours and sometimes we were working 12 to 15 hours a day, yeah. seven days a week. Yeah. And we just kind of made up for it by sheer willpower. Yeah, we we then you can go back and listen to episodes. You know, we we follow. We always try to be just observers. You know, mm-hmm. not really putting our opinion into to the the people in the race. But right. I mean, you you could hear our tone months ago. I mean, mm-hmm. I I was I thought the campaign was just gonna die. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you really did. You felt yeah. like it. And from from people that are close to him, I don't expect you to respond to this in any mm-hmm. kind of official capacity. But it seems like he's a, he's a good dude, and the people around him really like him. But as a candidate, sometimes he struggles to. Per, like get that out on stage to broad audiences, right? And that's what we were seeing early on. And then somehow, and we did debate. Uh, we actually did a debate episode, and debates have not typically been his no. friend in this campaign season. <laughs> so well, and it's, and, but that was if you go thing. back and you really, if you've paid attention, you research. It's never been a strength for him. Right. It seems like in the late '80s when he ran, it was still it was a weakness. Right. Then I, I think you know one candidate they always compare him to not not for like his political not policies, not but policies, yeah, yeah. But you know, the way he interacts with people is Bill Clinton. They always yeah. compare it to yeah. the, like his path to the Clinton model. And, and the, the thing you always heard and, about Clinton growing up was if you get Clinton in a room with somebody, they'll vote for him. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, to, to watch the VP interact with people one-on-one mm-hmm. is, is amazing. He's, um, he shows so much empathy to, you know, and so he's been to the, to HQ, uh, a couple times, yeah. Um, and it's not like, hey, I'm here to make an appearance and then I'm going to leave. It's like he he will maybe spend five to ten minutes with each person mm-hmm. in the room. Yeah, he'll be there for hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you get him on a stage with you know eleven or twelve other people, that doesn't come out yep. necessarily. But now that the field is shrinking, I think that people are getting more of a sense of him. Yeah, whenever we can get you know these two men on a stage, you, yeah. you may mm-hmm. you may yeah. have a, a better time getting getting his story told. Right. So which he can came naturally, I think something that worked in his favor was the the Southern Democrat that still mm-hmm. lives was very much his his people. Right. So we've talked about that narrative here as well. So Walker County, and I mean, you followed mm-hmm. politics when you were younger, uh, which from what you said, you would have been like in first grade yeah. uh, <laughs> with what I'm about to talk about. Yeah. But, um, you know, Al Gore carried 48% of Walker mm-hmm. County. Right. Um, Bill Clinton won Walker County both times. Dukakis won Walker County. Mm-hmm. So... Biden seems in that mold of Democrat. Like, if I'm right. going to have to label him, mm-hmm. he seems in the Democrat that actually would fare well here in a different right. time. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, we're, we're just in an ultra-blindly conservative mode right now for whatever reason in Walker County. Right. Um, but in normal Walker County, when we were kind of splitting the ballot boxes, mm-hmm. he's the type of Democrat I think would really perform well Right. I, I think so, too. Yeah. yeah. So does the job, I'm sure you're mostly based at headquarters, does it require any travel of you, though? Did you get to um, go to any of some of the states? So um, we... we we went to New Hampshire. Okay. Um, and that was interesting, knocking doors in New Hampshire. Um, 
and uh, we we sort of got the sense on the ground that it, it wasn't going to go well. Uh, I, was about, <laughs> I was about to yeah. say, I was about to say, if you don't get there, I'm going to get you there. He yeah. didn't do well in New Hampshire. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I mean, we we sort of knew from the beginning, and it was something that was always said. We were like, we're not going to do well in Iowa or mm-hmm. New Hampshire, mm-hmm. and that was something I think the the media. Um, didn't necessarily know our internal communications. Right, right. which uh, is key. You, you right. want to leave them in the dark on it, what exactly. you know. Yeah. And so I don't think anyone was under an illusion that we were going to do well in either of those states. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but uh, our campaign always had the strategy that, you know, we're going to do well in Nevada, mm-hmm. and then we're going to use uh, South Carolina as a slingshot to the nomination. Which, right. which I think anyone that follows politics at all mm-hmm. knew that South Carolina was Joe's. It was going right. to be a firewall. We, yeah. we all knew what was going on there. And then yeah. as well as your Alabama, the, the southern ones, we knew, right. we knew Joe was going to carry that, I, that vote But I base. don't think even even on the campaign, I, I know that we, we thought we were going to do very well after South Carolina. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone could have predicted that moment that happened when you had all of the former candidates up on the stage yeah. endorsing yeah. Joe. Which I felt like, so we're talking about kind of ideal alignments. We mm-hmm. saw in this, uh, we certainly saw the party as a whole in 2020 um, from, from 16 switch to the left a little bit. Right. Like the yeah. progressive ideas of a Bernie Sanders Sanders mm-hmm. have impacted the overall right. platform mm-hmm. of the party. Joe's kind of stood firm that that center left moderate. Right. He, he didn't yeah. really move much right. to, to the left. Um, but you saw the, the two factions, and what we saw right before Super Tuesday was the moderate faction, the, the Pete Buttigieg, the Amy Klobuchar. Mm-hmm. They were like, "We're not going to win. We need to get behind Joe because right. we need to help." the moderate faction mm-hmm. of our party, you didn't really see the far left side do that. Exactly. They just kind of let let the votes be be split. And so there was right. very a unified front, and it feels like that was probably even from the top of party leadership. Like, guys, if we want to get the center left in there, y'all right. need to act now. Yeah, and, and I mean... You, you can see that effort. Right, and you look at Kentucky and the, mm-hmm. the election... Uh, Kentucky, Louisiana, where you had those moderate candidates yeah. who were bringing in the votes. Yeah. And so I think the Democratic Party looked at that and they're like, you know, that's where America is. They're they're just center left. All right, you brought Kentucky up, so we're yeah. going down the Kentucky road. Oh, no. <laughs> you can dodge anything you'd like to dodge. Kentucky is fascinating to me politically. <laughs> So Kentucky had a, uh, a Republican governor that was, had awful favorability ratings, just mm. disgusting favorability ratings. The state that elected him hated him, right. and they just elected a Democrat as mm-hmm. their governor. They also voted, I don't know, 70% plus for Donald Trump. It was, it was a high number. Yeah. And yeah. then they also have two Republican senators who I'm not going to go too far down the road of my personal opinions of their Republican senators, but mm-hmm. they make me proud of the Alabama delegation every day. <laughs> um, one of them is the majority leader in the right. Senate who has a real threat this time around. Mm-hmm. I'm very intrigued by McGrath yeah. in that election. She right. she has all the right mm-hmm. center left. But that also, in my mind, makes me think Joe Biden could win Kentucky it's, as a presidential candidate. Right. But, yeah. The the left of center works in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes me yearn to have a two party state here too in Alabama. Like even if yeah. even if one is always winning and the other is always competitive, like I just want right. to see that so bad. Yeah, uh, I, I think that that also challenges you to actually get something done. Makes you better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we talk we talk about like just with capitalism. You know, Home Depot having a Lowe's nearby is good for the consumer. Right. That's good for us. Walmart having mm-hmm. Target down the road is good for the consumer. Well, right. a, an elected Democrat 
Democrat having a real Republican threat or vice versa is good for uh, the voter. Right. And uh, we, we lose that when we just blindly shift to one side. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's what our home has done here. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Kentucky is uh, super intriguing. And then mm-hmm. I see through these... Um, through the pandemic that we're in currently and you right. you see this random weird quote and then you're like without even looking at, at the state in the parentheses next to their name you're like it's a good chance that person's from kentucky and then you look you're like what the heck they are they're from kentucky yep. <laughs> they have a strange delegation there i'll tell yeah. you that one thing and then we may uh we may move on to the pandemic and just what it's like to be a part of a, a campaign that's trying to run in right. a time of a pandemic but i will admit that when paul first told me um that you were with biden's campaign it was interesting to me because, you know, given your age and everything, mm-hmm. it's no secret that there were other candidates in that field that were racking up uh, so-called, you know, the youth voters. Mm-hmm. And, like the youth movement was not with Joe Biden. Right. And so talk a little bit about just how you as what's, – what's behind us? What's behind millennials? You're not a millennial. You're, is it Gen Z? What is it? Yeah, Are you I, technically I, a millennial? Te- so, so we're the older and so yeah. we're the pawpaws so and you're Jen on that and I end? Are in the, we're in the top – 25% age-wise right. of millennials, and he would be in the bottom 25%. So we're generationally right. okay. so we're together. So what does it end in 95? <sighs> they took it technically from what I read now. They went ahead and went from 80 to 2,000 to okay. just do a 20-year. Yeah. But from other things you read, it's like 82 up to 2,000. But right. they, they made 2,000 the cutoff. Okay. Okay. But yes. I'll tell you, a lot of kids born, you know, 99, 2,000, they ain't got nothing in common. No, yeah. we so keep Joe off the they, They're going to realign yeah. that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a moving target. They move it over the years. Right, but, yeah, so I'm 93. <laughs> yeah, so you'd definitely be right. But just talk about uh, being young and choosing choosing Joe Biden when, like I said, that right. was not his strength. You know, the appeal right. to the young voters was not his strength. So, right. so talk, talk um, about that. And, yeah, I'll answer that in like a second. But one, one of the interesting things is um, the people who are actually working on the campaign or are millennials. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we, we don't have a lot of people outside of that generation mm-hmm. that, are, that are working actually on the campaign. Right. Um, but, yeah, like you said, um, a lot of uh, millennials – tend to want to vote for Bernie Sanders or, mm-hmm. you know, the more progressive side, the the far left. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it was that um, I in 2016, uh, I considered Bernie um, and even went to um, a, a speech that he did in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was I, good. I was also there. Oh, really? Yeah. OK. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was good, but at the end of the day, I'm a very pragmatic person. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so looking at the makeup of the Senate and the House of Representatives at the time. How I'm much like, of that can you get through? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And Bernie has never been the kind of person um, or, you know, uh, politician to actually pass bills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. His, his main thing is voting no <laughs> on pieces of legislation, because if you if you watch him uh, in the debates, he's like, "Well, I voted no on that. Yeah. I voted." And no. here's why. Yeah, Sit down. <laughs> exactly. And you know, the one significant piece uh, of legislation that he actually passed was the the veterans bill. Yeah, uh, which was which was a good bill. But if you look at sort of the lifespan of him as a politician, mm-hmm. he hasn't been able to get a lot done. Mm-hmm. Um, where and you look at Joe Biden's record, and you know, you have the Violence Against Women Act, mm-hmm. uh, you have the assault weapons ban. Um, and you just look and him being able to cross party lines and, mm-hmm. and get things done that, that is actually beneficial at the time mm-hmm. uh, for the American people. And I, I wanted to get behind a person who is actually going to make a difference instead of just sitting there and talking about things and not actually getting anything passed. Right. Right. And um, I think that 
Um, I think our message has has shifted mm-hmm. a little bit with young people. Uh, once I think once millennials dig into Bernie Sanders' record, um, they're seeing like, okay, well, well, maybe maybe we'll look somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, uh, millennials don't vote. Mm-hmm. Yes. Exactly. I mean, exactly. uh, Which is it? Is it time for a public service announcement with three millennials in the room? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go vote. Yeah. Right. Go vote. Definitely yeah. go vote. Good lord, folks. This, this is you why, know democracy doesn't really work if right. we don't go vote. And this right. is why many politicians don't have to speak to you because no. you don't That's vote. Why they ignore you. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. is why they can talk about social security and all the things because mm-hmm. older voters yeah. are going to show up for them and they know that. Yeah. Yeah. So there you have that. And then you have, um, they'll respond to a poll, mm-hmm. you know, when, when CNN oh, or someone. always respond to the polls yeah, when, when I call. When CNN, uh, you know, will uh, do polling, they're like, who are you leaning toward? Mm-hmm. And they'll, be, they'll say yeah. Bernie, but then when it then comes voting vote. day, they don't yeah. vote. Yeah. <laughs> no, obviously. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> we've talked about in here, uh, really the strength of, of Bernie Sanders we've seen is to shape a platform, right. uh, mm-hmm. get popularity in the rhetoric and get mm-hmm. people really, I mean, if you talk about just from 16 to 20, the people that are really talking about like a Medicare for all platform mm-hmm. or something like it's it's a lot more and right. you know obviously it would if we even do go there it's a slow mm-hmm. it's a slow boat oh absolutely I mean you ain't you're not doing that overnight right because that's an entire industry flipped on its head mm-hmm. um, but that that seems to be but there in the dream. beginning it seemed like a litmus test to the it, nomination it really did yeah. and they were having to answer the question like right. yeah you for it or against it and then some right. of them were like to me disingenuously like mm-hmm. yeah I like it absolutely mm-hmm. yeah you, just because they had to choose their side of the fence right. so. That is something you 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 would give Joe for me is that he's he's Joe you know what yep. I mean like you I read a um, I read a book which I don't read a lot of books we've talked about mm-hmm. this before in here um, the unwinding was by George Packer is unwinding okay. of America Joe's in there he's covered mm-hmm. in there a good bit so basically they took uh, three four five characters from across the U S with different backgrounds and do, working in different places and they're going through um, the eighties up and the the economy going down and some of them are in the rust belt when they lose all their jobs mm-hmm. and then they're having to take worse jobs and stuff like that. Well, Joe makes appearances because there was a guy that worked for Joe in the like on the, the eight. Did he run an eighty eight? I think so. Yeah. On the eighty eight mm-hmm. campaign, he was he was a Biden guy. Like that's how he labeled mm-hmm. himself. So you just get these flashes of Joe in this book. Yeah. That was really how I became more aware of Joe from like the eighties up. Right. I rant to say the same version of him that you saw in that book in the eighties. Oh, like yeah. he's there today. So mm-hmm. like him, don't like him, whatever. He's that guy. Yeah. And that. That's something I'm always looking for in any leader is mm-hmm. give me somebody that's who they are right here on the surface right. and screwing up. Like that was, to me, the most endearing quality of George W. Bush was that he just like, he's right here surface level. He's mm-hmm. just screwing up right in front of you and then saying the things and then laughing at himself and then passing a piece of candy to Michelle Obama. Don't like, get him started on Lindsey Graham or you're going to hear the flip side of this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> But that, that to me, that's his strength. And that well, that goes to earlier, we're talking about getting him in the room with people. They right. get to read that, and they're like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. I may not even agree with a lot of this. Yeah. Well, there's your segue. So Joe can't get in a room with yeah. a lot of people. what's that like? The yeah. CDC doesn't recommend it. Right. So what? And he is definitely not a stay six feet away kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Social distancing. <laughs> oh. 
he likes uh, to get up in your business uh, right. from what you can see. So <laughs> what, seriously, what's going on with the campaign in terms of like right now, how how do you run for a nomination, you know, head for a general yeah. election when you can't kiss babies and shake hands right. and do all the things? Well, I mean, obviously this is something that no campaign has ever had right. to do. So there's no playbook mm-hmm. for, uh, for what we're experiencing. Uh, but we are um, expanding our social media presence. Uh, we're doing a lot of um, Zoom calls. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that the the VP and Dr. Biden are uh, they're they're planning on uh, going one on one with some of the voters and um, you know interacting that mm-hmm. way, uh, doing um, Skype, Zoom, whatever is mm-hmm. available. Um, I know we just finished uh, building a studio in his home. Okay. Uh, so he uh, we're slowly expanding. He has a podcast now. He I learned a, just this morning one episode out. He's, I would have you know, to say podcast is a good platform. He has a for podcast. Him. Yeah. You, can, yeah. you can do the you can do the Joe Stick on a podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think that works. Um, and then, you know, our organizing team is is doing an incredible job given the circumstances because they're they're having to call, do, you know, the old-fashioned phone making. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have uh, some pretty cool apps that we're using um, that allows us to text um, because I, a lot of the candidates will send out like a mass text and there's no personal, you know, it feels very cold. You get a text that's like, hey, this, you know, cookie cutter. Uh, campaign mm-hmm. announcement. Um, but there's actually, when we send a, a text nine times out of 10, there's actually someone on the other side of the screen that is going to be answering um, your your text, your questions, policy, anything cool. like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. I tend to have fun with some of those. Um, not necessarily the ones where they would actually talk to me about policy, but where they're yeah. just like, vote no on this amendment. Mm-hmm. I love oh, responding yeah. to those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, well, why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not good at, like, you just giving me orders via text. You want to, like, tell me right. why you want me to vote no? Or, exactly. And then yeah. they never do because it's automated. Yeah. I actually did love the idea. Are you all caught up on uh, Hacks on Tap? I'm probably, like, one behind. You can spoiler alert but, me a little bit um, if you want to. So Hacks on Tap, David Axelrod and Mike Murphy, they have that podcast. Awesome podcast, and by the way. Okay. Mike... Um, uh, Murphy, who is, you know, John McCain's guy, you know, mm-hmm. from the Republican side, all that. Uh, he actually uh, kept referencing the Gerald Ford campaign and how Ford sat down with um, some athlete that I didn't know his name, but that's what he did. You two, uh, I think it was in 76, obviously. Um, he just did these one-on-ones and when they were talking about, you know, what can Joe do right now, mm-hmm. they were like, that'd be a great format for Joe. Just yeah. 30 minutes with Joe, sit down with, yeah. you know, a certain person, Kind of have them ask questions, that kind of a thing. Go, they go, thought that'd be a great format, and it sounds like it sounds like that's work. the direction yeah. that you yeah, guys are moving in. In at least you know a certain a certain point. Exactly, and I, th- I think we're we're also going to try to highlight the the comparisons between how the Trump administration has handled the mm-hmm. coronavirus mm-hmm. and then how a Biden administration would have yeah. handled it. Mm-hmm. That and that's very smart and very timely. Right. Um, we're going to give you. I'm going to need to give you a little more on the Hacks on Tap podcast. So okay. it was Mike Murphy who. Mm-hmm. Was he was the chief strategist for uh, John McCain, John McCain. Mm-hmm. and Axelrod, obviously chief right. strategist for the Obama campaign. Probably the guy that got Obama elected, mm-hmm. frankly. Yeah. Um, well, Murphy is a never Trumper Republican, yep. and so it's it's fascinating to see him go through this journey. He's trying to pick out a Democrat to vote for, mm-hmm. and he's a Republican like die right. hard. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing a movement of this. Uh, you're seeing the Lincoln Project. It's um, it's Kellyanne Conway's husband. George is his George name. George Conway, and yeah. then another guy. Basically, they're saying, hey, there's there's a 
there's a Republican Party on the backside of Trump, and we want to go ahead and build that because it's we're going to need it. Mm-hmm. And uh, they their whole shtick is we can deal with four years of policy that we don't agree with, but we can't deal with four more years of Trump. These are conservative guys, and there's a movement happening. Well, Murphy's one of those guys. So it's okay, really yeah. cool to hear Axelrod analyzing from a Democratic strategist point of view how these campaigns are going in the presidential campaign, and right. then Murphy analyzing from – Please, dear God, don't make me vote for Bernie Sanders. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to have a hard time stomaching that. Yeah. Like, Joe would be a lot closer to his platform because he's exactly. center left. So he'd yeah. be like, yeah, I can ha- I can stomach this. Mm-hmm. And he really, Murphy really early on liked Pete Buttigieg a lot because mm-hmm. he liked smart people. Like, mm-hmm. that was literally what he was saying. Right. He's like, I can disagree with you on a lot of policy, but if you're smart, I can. I would much prefer you be intelligent, right. have a high IQ. So yeah. he was early on that train, and you always really heard him kind of the Buttigieg, Biden, and Klobuchar. Mm-hmm. You could tell were the right. ones he wanted because he wanted mm-hmm. left to center. So he's he's but a lot happier. He's also these days, a practical yeah. guy because he was trying to back the horse that he thought you know could could actually win. You know, and, Th- this is true. And as so well. that's why in the beginning he was a little harsh on Biden because Biden just wasn't doing well, as we've talked about. He just didn't look like that was going to be a path yeah, for this, him. And he saw so he, Buttigieg he had was, the, the sexy points right. early on, um, which, by the way, I boldly predicted in this room that Pete would win Iowa. He did. Yeah. So... I didn't go but any a lot farther. Of good that did <laughs> I, well, I didn't go any farther predicting mm-hmm. where his campaign would go, well. but I did. I just felt like Iowa was his mm-hmm. for the taking, and yeah. uh, I was, I guess, kind of right because him and Bernie pretty much split. I've been it. thinking, yeah. you know, after 2016, people were like, you know, that was the craziest election ever, and you're never going to see that again. Who knew? Like, you know how you up crazy? Mm-hmm. You cancel a campaign with a yep. pandemic. Like, that's how you do crazy yeah. in 2020. Yeah. Like, who would have thought, exactly. you know, I, that, I, that that this election would be crazier in a different way than that election? Exactly. But it and has been. I remember thinking, uh, you know, when the Iowa recount and all mm-hmm. that stuff happened and, and just how badly they messed up a caucus Mm -hmm. um we were thinking okay this is probably going to be the craziest thing that happens this election cycle and like we got it out of the way early yeah exactly i think what what blew my mind like a layman just on the sidelines so they you know they caucus in a room and they write the results and they're reporting them into this app right so here we are like weeks later and they're like still Mm kind of working on i'm like what happened to the piece of paper like that Mm -hmm. you were inputting data into the app Mm -hmm. from right you know, it's pretty easy to like call ninety counties or how many ever county. They don't even have ninety. Yeah. How many counties? You can like, hey, like, what was on your piece of paper? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, so it, it's interesting to bring that up. So um, I helped with uh, counting um, some of the uh, the delegates for Nevada, mm-hmm. and uh, people would take pictures of, and I'm, you know, every campaign's do yeah. this. Take pictures of the papers, absolutely so that mm-hmm. internal polling. Right. Yeah, say, you can bring so your you can data. Call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and. The, the math for caucuses are very – it's very complicated. Yeah. And we would we would look at these papers that people were sending in and, you know, Dropbox and everything like that. And um, sometimes the paper wouldn't be filled out. And we would <laughs> – yeah, like we would we would get like, you know, one, uh, one column would be filled and then you would go down to the math part and they would just leave it blank. Or they would just write who won with none of the totals. And so so I mean, that's the reason. That's the reason. It's, it's not necessary. We didn't fill out the sheet of paper. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's, okay. that's frustrating. So that was always – and I'm spoiled. You know, in voting in Cordova, I bubble in names in a ballot mm-hmm. and I show it in a machine. And then when they close the poll down, it prints out a receipt mm-hmm. tape. 
tape. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we hear about all these, you know, attempts at election hacking and all this complexity. And I'm like, man, if y'all were just bubbling in ballots like we do in Cordova, mm-hmm. like, we good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so much easier. And another thing I always have a hard time coming to terms with, and I really feel like there needs to be some, some federal uh, um, assistance in this. So when I go vote in Cordova, there's X amount of people that can vote where I vote. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that that should be exclusive to rural areas. Like, why can't you have more polling places in these urban areas? You're talking about people waiting eight, nine hours to vote. Right. Yeah. That's not American. So, yeah. you know, if, if there's 3,000 or 4,000 or 5,000 registered voters where I vote, mm-hmm. why is there any other polling place that has more than mm-hmm. than that you know yeah. why can't we have more polling right. place it blows my mind that we we don't want to make it easy for americans to so, go vote. exactly i hate to ask you to look into your crystal ball but what do you think a general election is going to look like like is it going to be a normal general election <laughs> or weird. you know yeah. you're hearing a lot about you know you're going to have to do more you know ballots by mail which i don't mm-hmm. know you know is alabama how where are we on that train? I'm We're not going to like that at all. Yeah, I'm just um, not sure. But if, I mean, yeah. um, you know, because this had is a thing. You no, know, everyone feels like a long way away, but it's really not. If you had to oversimplify, like ballots by mail, um, Republican-controlled areas usually don't like it very much, mm-hmm. and Democrat-controlled areas are better with it. I mean, that, right. if you just really had right. to paint it with a broad brush, so I'd have to assume John Merrill ain't going to be a big fan of, mm-hmm. of mail-in ballots. Yeah. And if you look at Wisconsin right now, um, there was a, a court case that closed a couple of days ago um, where they were they finally are allowing people to vote by mail and doing some of those, you know, not in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Republicans immediately... Uh, filed an appeal for it. Um, so it's it's something that is playing out now, and mm-hmm. I think that's sort of going to set the precedent for the what general happened? election. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, if I had to look into a crystal ball, I don't see this being a, a, normal, no, it's gonna a, be weird. a normal election cycle at all. Well, if you had to look into your crystal, crystal ball, is uh, is this going to be like Kevin Spacey from House of Cards where we have national emergency at the polls and we're closing <laughs> them early and stuff? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> Because oh, conspiracy God, theory Drew's like ready for that moment. Yeah. Right. I mean, um, it would um, because the the power to set elections is uh, yeah. congressional. Yeah. Um, well, I think we've we've flirted with a lot of gray area on who has actual what powers these mm-hmm. days. So Right. Yeah. If you I, think gray area is not going to poke its little head up on election and day, I haven't I think dug you're into this. Yourself. I think this is again coming from the hacks on tap, but I think a constitutional amendment would be required. Mm-hmm. Is it to change the um, is it the swearing in day? Is yes. that what it would have to change mm-hmm. a constitutional Amendment would have yeah. to be, um, so you can't postpone. You can't like it would require. What's the chances well, of a constitutional amendment becoming? A I thing? mean, certain people when they swear in, you could probably get everybody six feet apart. It right. just depends on who's swearing in, mm-hmm. I guess. So, uh, so yeah, I don't know, and I don't think a lot of people are really thinking about that yet because we're so yep. in the yeah. moment, but. I agree that I think no matter what it looks like, November is not going to look normal. Well, I think there's a great hope for all of us, whether you're a candidate or not, is that this uh, behaves like the flu and Mm -hmm. and kind of dies down in the summer, Mm -hmm. Um, which I don't know if you've done any reading on that, but I'm fascinated by, you know, we have a, we always have like kind of a spring and a fall flu season Mm -hmm. and they've always kind of just assumed that heat of summer Mm -hmm. did that, but Mm -hmm. they've never really supported that with science. So it's like, it's a theory. Right. Uh, You would have like the safe money would be on that. It just doesn't like the heat of summer. Summer, mm-hmm. But we haven't proven. But we don't know that's true, right? And then also you have the the scientists that are saying there are like eight or nine strains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and what's to say it doesn't adapt? Yeah. So it's. I, I mean, I, I think that uh, I think that's definitely something that we're going to have to wait and see. So a good time to also remind everyone: hey, stay six feet away from folks <laughs> and wash your hands. 
uh, pretty often. It's, mm-hmm. This is a pretty easy fix, and for some reason, we have the hardest time with it. Yeah. And don't my, go shopping. My, well, my, yeah. well, and if you go get your essentials, right. and when you do, stay away from folks mm-hmm. um, and wash your hands. I mean, this is really my, my and brother. We're saying that because in in real time, as we're recording, the mayor has just had to actually issue an order forcing yeah. people to do yeah. so in stores. Which is also unfortunate because uh, my brother, I won't I won't call names because you know they well, don't you only pay, have one. They don't pay advertising <laughs> around here. No where he works. They don't they don't advertise with the Mountain Eagle that I'm aware of. He works for a very large retailer. Um, some would call it the largest ever. Um, He's a manager there, and these people, you know, it's the first of the month, so a lot of government checks are coming mm-hmm. in, and they're all over each other yesterday, and they're going to be all over each other today because mm-hmm. the third is another check cycle. Stay away from each other. You can go shop. You can go mm-hmm. get your bread and milk and eggs or whatever you need to get. Get food for your family. Get medicine. Just stay away from one another. Mm-hmm. This isn't like a real complex scenario. Right. Um, my brother said uh, when they started doing the count yesterday on people, they there was someone at the door that said they were violating his constitutional rights. <laughs> <laughs> and I was oh like, man, God. I don't, I don't think they covered big box retailers in the Constitution, <laughs> man. I, I, I may, I haven't oh. read it in a while, but. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's very strange. But even with an order like that, you're talking about a building of, of these sizes, these these large retailers we have. Their fire codes like five thousand people. Mm-hmm. So this order is giving you half the fire codes. You're talking about twenty five hundred people can mm-hmm. still be in there. That's too many people, guys. Yeah. If you pull yeah. up in the parking lot, super full, um, you know, go somewhere else. Might I recommend a, a small grocery store in Cordova? It's mm-hmm. not been too full. Uh, right. I've yep. been going in there and mm-hmm. I've been able to keep twenty feet away from folks and still mm-hmm. get food. So mm-hmm. just be smart, folks, because we're spreading it. Yep. We're, our interactions with one another is spreading so, it. Uh, so we'll we'll go out on this one, I guess. What uh, what do you anticipate comes next? Like when the campaign is over, do you go back to consulting? Do you try to stay, you know, in the political realm? What are you anticipating? What are you hoping right. for? Um, hopefully, this you know leads to a. a administration job. Okay. Uh, so that I is mean, something you're looking for. It is something. Um, I, I definitely want to work with veterans and that's something I'm, I'm really passionate about. Um, veterans, national defense, mm-hmm. uh, national security, things like that. Um, but if it doesn't, if it doesn't work out, I think that I will uh, maybe go back to consulting, uh, but definitely trying to stay in the Department of Defense arena. Okay. I respect that. Good deal. Well, you got anything else? No, I'm just trying to figure out what position I want. (laughs) (laughs) Drew wants to get in on the ground floor now. You know, I'm retiring in November. Yeah. Retiring, yeah. So, I mean, it's perfect. Like, the two days after I retire would be the election. and. Mm Right, we'll talk. I'll call yeah. Joe. Okay. I'll Scott. Tell him I'll Zoom him. I'll okay. Zoom him. That's what everybody's using now. I, yeah. You know, I was pretty unfamiliar with Zoom, for the record. Um, heard of it, but didn't really. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I didn't yeah. know that had become such a big deal. <laughs> but but y'all didn't use Zoom. What was the platform that y'all did the last? We used, uh, it was really just a teleconference that yeah. we used. It didn't have uh, visuals. Right. It just had audio with a presentation. I was trying to think what was the name had. of it, though, because I'd never used that either. Ben explained it to me. They use it a lot for legal consultation okay. from far away. It works well for them. They basically, the way that per, that company bills is like per person per minute mm-hmm. on the call kind of thing. Okay. It works really well for the way they operate. Okay. Um, so that it's not, you know, Zoom's much more teleconference based, right. which yeah. by the way, if you've been burning some time on social media, some people are really silly with uh, like they're on Zoom calls and they're taking their, their computer to the bathroom with them and stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. you don't... <laughs> 
they don't see themselves. You know, right. it's like there's 12 squares on the screen and you're one of them. Yeah. yeah. You can see everyone else. They can see you. That's right. <laughs> that's what that little camera is doing, which yeah. you can pause your camera. <laughs> just yeah. Like, Technology's hard. I've also seen people who will set up green screens behind them. Yes. They're doing, they're doing a lot of uh, backgrounds. Yeah, now. exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. become a big thing. Mm-hmm. In the Tiger King, we were talking a little bit about off mic. There's a lot yep. of Tiger King backgrounds going on wow. right now behind these people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this gracious. has been fun. This was an unexpected surprise. Yeah. Uh, for the record, we actually had reached out before, and then the world went crazy. Exactly. And I think we both yeah. we both had other things, know, and then yeah. and then it just occurred to me, hey, I should follow up with him and see if we can do this. Yeah, so that's he got, why he got that's why we didn't mention County, it in so. our previous uh, yeah, I was, uh, our previous things. I think it was like a couple of days after you you texted me, um, we ended up you know closing shop in Philly, and then everyone just sort of went their own mm-hmm. ways, and it, it was a very hectic time, and I completely right. forgot about it so. well it was pretty hectic here too so as yeah. did i but uh and i don't think we're done with hectic just yet no um, it's, no we're, we're no. still but, uh, climbing the mountain but it was fun hectic. we had said you know how great it would be if we could find somebody who was associated with one of the campaigns we just didn't know if that was out there and then paul kennedy comes through once again our friend paul yep. yeah yeah so, paul's a great guy uh, Shout out to and paul. i haven't even told him that we're doing this i have to text him <laughs> when we get done with this well, i told him i was reaching yeah. out to you but i haven't told him we we set it up so uh so we hope you guys have have enjoyed this we will be back Next week, as promised, last week. Mm, with, I don't believe her. It yeah. might be Corey. It might not. Hey, we're just making this up as we go. <laughs> it's a pandemic. If There's you guys no have listened to any episodes before this, you know that's pretty much how we roll. Yeah. We just kind of make it up as we go. So, so, but that's the plan. Is that next week our our very enlightening conversation with Corey Franks will be with you. So we'll see you then. See you guys. Left on Red is a DME Media Production. Copyright 2020, Daily Mountain Eagle.